everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday. And that means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic. I write for The Rap and The Film Verdict and Slash Film sometimes, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I contribute to Slash Film. And uh, that's it. That's all you so, need, baby. It's, uh, contribute a lot. When you write, uh, when you write as much and as well as Whitney, you don't need any more than that. And this is <laughs> and, our uh, Godzilla and, uh, podcast. Oh no, Godzilla! Ah! Oh, no. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, uh, yeah. This this is our Godzilla podcast. We review every single movie that Godzilla is officially in and uh, is officially adjacent to the Godzilla filmography. We've been we started with Gojira. Hmm. And we have uh, uh, continued to pace. We are now uh, handily in 1969, and we're doing something this episode that we have not had an opportunity to do yet, and that is review a Godzilla movie that was not made in Japan. There are a few. That's right. This is the first one. A lot of people know the Roland Emmerich one from the 1990s, or the more recent legendary Monsterverse. But this is actually the first quasi-official Godzilla. They put, they're able to put Godzilla in the title. Yeah. And uh, and it's and it's a Canadian co-production. It's Canadian co-production, which is very, very exciting. It is another team-up movie in which Godzilla meets another famous creature. And here's the fun thing. Here's the rub. This podcast is already longer than that film. <laughs> We've just introduced it, and the movie is over. The movie, you could have watched it by now. It is over. It is done with. It is Marv Newland's classic comedy animated short film, Bambi Meets Godzilla. You really didn't just put in a clip, did you? No, 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 no. Okay. It, does, it sounds like I was setting one up. Yeah, right? but I there's am. nothing. There's there's no. There, there's audio in the in the in the yeah, short, but there's no dialogue or anything. There's no, no the, trailer um, for it. it uh, the the audio is uh, from William Tell, um, mm. of the Offenbach uh, oper- operetta. Yeah, it's a part. It's the one called "Call to the Dairy Cows," and it's no, which is, it's used in a lot of cartoons. This yeah, very I, peaceful. I, I, I learned it from cartoons and from like Spike Jones. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's it's um an approximation of Bambi. Mm-hmm. From the book, yeah. Uh, Disney famously uh, adapted Bambi into a feature film, mm-hmm. uh, but Disney does not own the rights to Bambi. In fact, Bambi just lapsed into the public domain. Nice, good job, uh, Bambi. So You're I don't. Ass. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Disney had any sort of domain over the name Bambi mm-hmm. in 1969. Mm. Uh, if they did, they probably didn't care that, that <laughs> Marv, Marv, Marv Newland was was making this like one hundred one hundred second short. Uh, ninety seconds. Ninety it's seconds. A ninety short. second short film. It uh, it's it's got two intellectual IPs in it: Bambi and Godzilla. Uh, it did air. It aired in theaters. It actually aired. Um, uh, it was part well, of a, of a, of a it feature. Di- distributed. It, it was distributed. It air in theaters. Uh, there was a cult film that came out in the early 1970s called The King of Hearts. 
Which I haven't seen. I haven't I've, seen I've it I've heard about this one. I've yeah. heard... It's legendary, actually, in sort of the cult film circuit. It, like, played in, like, one theater in France for years. It was so popular. But it's about a guy... I think it's in World War II. Um, there's a bomb in this small Excuse town. Me, I, I said Offenbach. It was Rossini. I had to correct myself. You monster. I, I, I want to get that kind of thing right. You, you know, should I, I, I need I need to uh, need to get the details correct. Uh, the King of Hearts uh, was... Uh, it's a film that's about a, a, a soldier who's searching a small town uh, to try to defuse a bomb that's going to go off somewhere in the town and he doesn't mm. know where. Uh, what he doesn't realize is that everyone in the town has evacuated and rather than you know help people out of the local uh, mental institution, they just open the doors and those people are now living in the town pretending like nothing weird is going on. And the guy <laughs> is deeply confused. Uh, it was a big cult film. It did very, very well. And... It was released as part of kind of a, a program called The King of Hearts and His Loyal Short Subjects. And it was included with Bambi Meets Godzilla, as well as an animated film called Thank You, Mask Man. Uh, Which is also Marf Newland, I believe. Uh, no, actually. That no, was John Magnuson and Jeff oh, Hale. Okay. John Magnuson produced it, Jeff Hale directed it. I apologize. Um, I can see why you might think that. Um, and Thank You, Mask Man is actually an animated short. Uh, that just takes a Lenny Bruce routine I've, I've about seen the Thank Lone you, Ranger. I've seen Thank You, Mask Man. Yeah, uh, we, uh, we showed it ahead of Midnight Movies at the New Beverly occasionally. Yeah, and Thank You, Mask Man, if you've never heard the routine or seen the short, I'm of the opinion that it is briefly charming and then it falls into homophobia so flatly and so face-first oh, yeah. at the oh, end. And that's... that's like Lenny Bruce's joke. He was a very offensive comedian. Uh I don't think to any great end in Thank You, Mask Man. I don't think it really amounts to anything that's really worthy of it. But I do know that there was a time when it was considered very popular. Yeah. This routine and this animated film. We're not reviewing Thank You, Mask Man. We're just covering it a little bit. Uh, so if you went to the King of Hearts and his loyal sort subjects, you would see Thank You, Mask Man. You would see Bambi meets Godzilla. And you would see King of Hearts, right? Because that's mm -hmm. the movie. Um I saw Bambi Meets Godzilla when I was a little kid. Okay. It was something that would occasionally play on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they would like have it as filler on various TV shows. When like, oh, this yeah, this show ran a little short. We'll just throw in Bambi Meets Godzilla. Ninety seconds. You can throw it in it anywhere. Yeah. 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 And um, I have a feeling some people are going to chuckle at this, but it's true. It scared me. Oh, you didn't know. You didn't see what was coming. I, I, it doesn't matter that I saw what was coming. What matters is the way it was specifically played out. Mm. And if you haven't stopped our podcast to watch Bambi meets Godzilla, if several, you've never several seen times it, over at this point. Uh, yeah. let, me, let me let me check what we got here. Uh, you could have seen Bambi meets Godzilla about four times by now. <laughs> Five by the time I finish this sentence, more or less, if it continues running on the way it does and does and does. And does, and I'm adding this part in as a parenthetical, so that we're really going to reach uh, the place where we're at. Semicolon, Whitney, how you doing? Thank you, Lawrence Stern. <laughs> <laughs> for the for the Tristram Shandy fans out there who love run on sentences, <laughs> and that was just for you. And Thank now you. you could have seen it five times. All right. Um, Bambi meets Godzilla it has that pastoral William Tell score, mm. and it's a black and white drawing of Bambi, just sort of. Eating some shrubs, grass, like kind of pawing yeah. at the grass with the barely with moving, paw, really. Yeah, and there's a title that says "Bambi Meets Godzilla," and it says and, like, and part of the gag is uh, the credits roll first. Uh -huh. 
and every single credit is, is Marv Newland. It's catering a, by Marv Newland, produced by Marv Newland, written by Marv Newland, animated by Marv Newland, produced Marv, by Marv Newland, produced by Marv Newland, Marv Newland, produced by, by Mr. and Mr. Mrs. And Mrs. Newland, Newland, which always got a laugh. Yeah, because we've had like so many mm. credits at this point, and then by the time the credits end and we're finally ready for Bambi to meet Godzilla. Godzilla's foot just comes down from the top of the screen and splatters Bambi. Mm. And, and, it, there's, and they, there's a, a, a piano bang at that moment. It just leans on the piano. It's blam. literally the final yeah. chord from A Day in the Life by the Beatles. Yes, but it's... Uh, it's very jarring. It's like distorted in some way. It's mm-hmm. not exactly the same. It's, it's half speed. Okay. It's half speed. Um, and then... That's the end, and then it says the end. And then if you'll, if you keep watching for a second, well, then there's a special the, thanks. It's a special thanks. Uh-huh. But if you keep a special <laughs> thanks to Toho for the use of, uh, well, it's, of it's to the city of Tokyo for acquiring Godzilla. Apologies, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then if you stay right at the end, Godzilla stretches his toenails. They kind of like curl a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, as a child, was lulled into. False security. I had a theory of where this was going, <laughs> but I, you know, it's Bambi. Mm. Who doesn't love Bambi? Bambi's a sweetheart. Bambi's not. Bambi's an okay kid. Uh, and uh, to have Bambi suddenly splattered, and what it was more than anything else, mm. the 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 day in the life note. This like this like we just slammed everything we had onto a piano mm. note. It was so doomsaying. <laughs> it was so final and so, so bleak, cruel. Yeah. yeah, bleak is a good word to put it. That it just kind of bummed me out and made me like, oh no, mm. Bambi. Oh man. Yeah. That, that's quite unfortunate. Who could have foreseen <laughs> these events? Um, the genius of Bambi meets Godzilla. It's a very simple cartoon. It's a very simple premise. Well, and, and but there, Mar- there's Mar- a couple Mar- of levels think... of joke at play, which I think is quite true. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, well, the, the joke is Bambi meets Godzilla. Bambi, Godzilla, a gentle, small creature, giant, violent creature. Yeah. Juxtaposition. If, if you have any yeah. idea in your head that they might have a conversation yeah, or interact or fight in some way, it's in, no. <laughs> it's injecting a, a peaceful, childish thing with violence mm-hmm. which is a, a pretty common joke they just this year there's a winnie the pooh violence movie this uh, is more sophisticated than that uh, absolutely yeah. it is if it, uh, was, if it was an hour and a half long and was nothing but if, the if violence that would also if be I had paid a full but... ticket price mm-hmm. for uh bambi meets godzilla and i got that instead of winnie the pooh blood and honey it probably would have been a lot more satisfying because yeah because winnie the pooh blood and honey is abysmal yeah at least with bambi meets godzilla you get a full complete well done joke and the cool thing and here's here's the genius of it because again Godzilla splatters Bambi anyone could have come up with that and it's not gore you say splatters but there's no gore it, like, it, the, the legs splay lay out yeah but, but yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's not like there's it. viscera or anything yeah. it's not there's all of a sudden there isn't red it's a black and white but we we all kind of guess where this is going maybe you don't the first time you see it but Mm. You, 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 when it happens, you're like, yeah, I should have seen that coming. But in the middle there, they're lulling you into security with the William Tell Overture. That's very peaceful. They're, they're, well, the, they're setting your clock to be very and mild. The, uh, and the credits are long enough that mm. you're not really sure when it's going to come. Yeah, like you're, you're, it, it, the credits just keep coming 
to an absurd degree. And you keep you start to think maybe there is no movie. Maybe it's just the credits. It's just yeah. the credits. This presage, there weren't a lot of, there were a lot of opening credit sequences or animated sequences by the time Bambi meets Godzilla come out. I can't think of many or, or hardly any opening credit sequence jokes before Bambi came out, where they turned the opening credits themselves into a joke. The one I, mm-hmm. the one I can think of is, I think it's a Howard Hawks film called Monkey Business. Okay. Where um, it's a it's a wonderful Cary Grant and Ginger Rogers movie where he's a scientist and he accidentally invents this kind of youth potion. It doesn't make you younger, but it makes you act younger. So everyone starts acting in these very silly, like eight year old kind of ways. And it's Cary Grant and Ginger Rogers, so of course the comic timing is wonderful. It opens out of a shot of a front door, and against this front door. Monkey Business, a Howard Hawks film. The cast, cinematographer, Cary Grant walks outside the door. Howard Hawks like, Cary, it's too soon. Oh, sorry. And then he walks back in and the credits continue. There had been opening credits jokes, but when I look at Bambi meets Godzilla, I think to myself, I feel like Monty Python might have seen this before they did Holy Grail. This like Uh, weird, bizarre, ongoing, almost interminable credits gag. Uh, I guess a bit. Um, yeah. This was the same. This is uh, concurrent with Monty Python's Flying Circus. Well, so. it, it was made a few years before the mm. movie came out, uh, and then it was released. Oh, so, I was talking some... about Bambi. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Mm. When Monty Python's Flying Circus had come out, yes, but the movie Holy Grail, which opens with these very serious bomb, yeah, it's, bomb, it's kind of medieval bomb, sounding music, bomb, yeah. like setting up for like you're watching a serious movie, and there's subtitles for the opening credits, and the subtitles gradually start saying sillier and sillier well, things about a it's, moose. It's uh, sort of, it's supposed to look like uh, Danish or yeah. Swedish, perhaps. Um, and uh, it, it's as if you got this print of Monty Python and the Holy mm-hmm. Grail, like from overseas. You yeah. got the wrong print in the theater. So, yeah, so you got, got the, unnecessary the, dubs. So you got the, the subtitles. The, for you. Yeah, yeah, like the Swedish subtitle print, which... Working at the New Beverly, you get you do get that sometimes. Mm. We had a, a print of Death Race 2000 that we could never show mm. because it had subtitles. <laughs> it was a subtitle version. With that, um, better than in, not showing it at I, all. I think it was in, I think it had, I forgot what lang- which language it was. I think it might have been French subtitles. Okay. But uh, you don't show that to the public. It's like, we're, we're going to, well, but you can get Death Race 2000 without subtitles. If you can, great. Yeah. If you can't, I don't mind, is my point. Maybe you, yeah. like, you show it after hours for friends, but you don't mm-hmm. like charge okay. ticket admission for a subtitled print. That It was a little, considered a little gauche. Okay. Um, that was the gag with the Holy Grail. Yeah. Uh, there was a definite movement in the late 60s, early 70s, toward a, a certain kind of almost cheeky, self-aware slapstick. Yeah. Uh, where a lot of the slapstick comedy, some of them were just straight up gold something like what's up doc yeah they were trying um, to bring screwball comedies back with yeah. vengeance yeah but some and i gotta mention his name uh like filmmakers like woody allen mm-hmm. was trying to trying to bring back like some physical comedy some slapstick but there was this kind of winking quality to those movies yeah where they're kind of making fun of the fact that they are doing slapstick yeah like we're like we're like a little like we, above we, we, un- we understand that this is like really dated humor and the gag is we're doing kind of this old fashioned gag um which you know played at the time is really popular yeah. my parents really loved Willie Allen um and I, I think 
sort of in that soup. And also there's like this rising underground of cult movies coming out at the same yeah. time. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how El Topo was kind of the first one. That was 1971. Yeah. Bambi Meets Godzilla was made before that, but, but was, note it w- became popular after. Yeah. And um, this is before like you would necessarily have like only one run in mm. theaters. You would potentially play later or get like discovered yeah. After your initial run and develop a cult following in theaters, yeah. Um, after your opening week, you know, I, more I, I blame a lot of these artistic movements on mm. the widespread public use of weed. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's definitely true of the Midnight movies, and uh, the, the guy who programmed the Midnight movies, yeah. El Topo at Midnight, admitted as much. He said, I, yeah. "I don't know what to do this weird acid western thing, so I'm going to show it after hours. I'm going to show my mm. regular movie." I'll show El Topo saying this is weird, wild thing, put out ads in the newspapers. Yeah. And he would just sort of turn a blind eye when people brought joints into the theater. Yeah. And they would get high while watching El Topo, and, and it became a big hit as a result. Yeah. It might also be a situation where um, uh, I've read you know some books about the Great Depression and cinema and how mm. cinema survived the Great Depression. And uh, part of that was just the types of movies that they were making were particularly effective. Not not just as escapism, but also they were kind of commentaries yeah, on what was going on. Rich there was people a, were very buffoonish. A lot of buffoonish rich 30s, people, yeah. a lot of very wily poor people who were getting by on uh, you know intelligence mm. and putting one over on the rich. This yeah. is definitely a quality that yeah, sold it, at the time. If you want to see that uh, sort of in play today, watch any Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah, because that sort of is a child of that. Sure. Those tropes. However, uh, one of the most important things that kept movie theaters going and popular during the Great Depression, the invention of air conditioning. <laughs> that could a, not be overstated. Cool off a little bit. You yeah. could go into a place and cool off, and I suspect uh, some kind of weird cousin of that is this movie will be popular because we know this theater lets us smoke weed yeah. and it doesn't even really matter what it is. <laughs> it, it helps that it's like this wild psychedelic oh, movie. Sure. But yeah. yeah that, that, that it was good helped. Mm. But there were also the grindhouse cinema scene of the 70s. A lot of films were able to make money that were shit. Like we mm. talk about like the ones that today or even at the time seemed particularly well made or particularly interesting or salient or spoke to the attitudes of a generation but i've also seen a lot of those movies and a lot of them are also genuine trash oh absolutely barely competent terrible motion pictures that still were Mm. able to turn a mild profit because what else are you gonna do tonight exactly and and uh, and there, there were the big six of course um Started with El Topo. Mm-hmm. They revived Night of the Living Dead, which came out that a few huge. years prior. That yeah. was a big on the midnight circuit. Uh, there was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yeah. There was Pink Flamingos. Mm-hmm. It was there, a little later, being. Was, uh, there was The Harder They Come, and then the la- mm-hmm. bringing up the rear was Eraserhead uh, yeah. from 71 to around 78. That's like yeah. when those, those six movies were just dominating the midnight movie scene. Any one of those six yeah. you could see. And, um, it's the, and it's, a lot of them still play. A lot of them still play. They Rocky Horror is still live. Rocky uh, still yeah. live. You can still go to you can still go to El Topo once in yeah. a while. Eraserhead still plays midnights Weird, once sometimes. Weirdly, the harder they come has sort of fallen off the map. That's the one people don't talk about. A and lot. it's a shame because it's great. It's a good movie. It's really uh, good. The, we just did a, a Iron List podcast. Where we talked about the best soundtracks ever. I think that was my number one. Uh, it's a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah, and it plays great. Um, but yeah, sort of the. 
Bambi meets Godzilla sort of came up in that soup. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's kind of fitting. I didn't see Bambi meets Godzilla at a midnight show, but I did mm-hmm. see Son of Bambi meets Godzilla. And we'll get to that. Yeah, um, it's had some sequels. Unofficial, though. Marvel unofficial. No one didn't do those. Uh, but I saw Bambi meets Godzilla when it was part of uh, an early VHS wave of these cult movies that mm-hmm. sort of started to hit video stores in the, in the mid-80s mm-hmm. uh, called Hardware Wars. Uh, oh yeah. Do you remember Hardware Wars, or is that something Vaguely. I need to I, explain? I, hardware. You should probably explain right. it. I don't. I don't trust that a lot of the short films that, frankly, even in our generation, were a little esoteric. Uh, yeah. They weren't necessarily popular. Uh, Bambi meets Godzilla is one of the better known ones, but I don't trust that anyone even knows that anymore. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, so you should explain hardware. Oh yeah, um, the uh, filmmaker named Ernie Fossilius uh, mm. made a Star Wars spoof in 1978. Star Wars was big enough, mm. as uh, Mel Brooks said, "Never give any saga an even break," mm. and uh, never give a saga an even break. Um, so it's, it's, so it's, it's inspired by a, there was a never W.C. A, Fields yeah. film called "Never Give a Sucker, Sucker an, an Even Break,", break yeah. and if you've never seen that movie, you absolutely must. It is beyond zany. It is absolutely, it's W.C. Fields, his career is in the crapper, which was kind of true at the time, and he's pitching a movie in a studio that just gets weirder and more bizarre over time as he's desperately trying to keep the executive's attention. Yeah. It's kind of amazing, actually. Um, So, anyway, you were saying. But, uh, (laughs) little... Well, we got to pad out this episode somehow, (laughs) so we're going to talk about W.C. Fields for a moment. I I just talked about Midnight Movies. Um... Yeah, Hardware Wars was a 1978 spoof movie, and uh, it was just a really broad slapstick version of Star Wars, which mm-hmm. was you know really really popular. They're just sort of riding on the coattails. Uh, there were a lot of bizarre pop ephemera to come out of Star Wars that we don't really talk about anymore, mm-hmm. um, like Miko's Star Wars disco song, for instance. Yeah, uh, where people were really trying to fit Star Wars into the current pop milieu, even though yeah. it was kind of... It kind of it, defied it in a it, lot it of eventually, Well, it eventually redefined everything. Yeah. It became so popular. But before it did that, we were trying to sort of lay it into what was already popular. That We mm. even got Star Wars Holiday Special, an actual canonical piece of Star Wars yeah. media. Which was um, basically, which is this bizarre hybrid hmm. of... Like, like celebrity TV and sketch comedy. Well, and, it's, a, it's a variety show is yeah. what it is. It's a variety show where just a random act would come in, do something at best vaguely associated with Star Wars and then but it would still have to take place within the world of Star Wars because George Lucas didn't ever want anyone to break character. Yeah. You had to believe in the world of Star Wars, but you also had to believe that Jefferson Starship was in there as <laughs> Jefferson Starship and it makes it, it makes no it's, sense it, whatsoever. It really is one of the most baffling things ever. I think thanks to the internet it's pretty widely seen at this point. Yeah. Uh, but golly, that's such a, that, like, it's as bad as you've heard as well. It is yeah. just miserable. Carrie Fisher said she used to put it on the TV whenever she wanted people to leave her house at the end of a party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, same year we got Hardware Wars. It was, uh, Fluke Starbucker and mm. I forgot what Han Solo's joke name was. Uh, Chewbacca the Wookiee Monster is just Cookie Monster. That's good. Princess Leia's uh, sort of cinnamon bun uh, hairdo was literal cinnamon buns. It was kind of like that Mad Magazine vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, really bad special effects. Uh, they used this sort of... Han Solo was ham salad. Ham salad. Genius. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. Genius. 
Yeah, Fluke Starbucker, 4Q2. 4Q2. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Augie Ben Doggy. Augie Ben Doggy. Help me, Augie Ben Doggy. Princess Android. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Oh, and Paul Freese did the narration. I actually didn't know that. That's funny. Paul, Paul Freese would do anything. I yeah. know. It's still classy, though. Yeah. Paul Freese is um, a brilliant voiceover artist. You probably know his work best as the voiceover guy on the Haunted Mansion ride mm. uh, at Disneyland, but you've also heard his voice in a million places. You've heard, yeah. yeah. You know Paul Freese. Right? Yeah. Look him up. Uh, but yeah, it, it was. it's like a 13-minute short. They take you through the same story as Star Wars, just quicker, and with cheaper special, special effects. It's charming. Mm-hmm. Hardware Wars is pretty fun, and it came on a video cassette at my local video store with um, Closet Encounters of the Nerd Kind, which was a very similar thing about Close Encounters. It's okay. like kind of a, a broad slapstick version of Close Encounters. Um, All right. Where they repeat a lot of lines of dialogue, but they make them sort of like big and silly, and the characters are really over the top. And right in between those two was <laughs> Bambi Meets Godzilla. Nice. It's like you got three films on this video cassette, and I, I brought it home. I watched. I watched Hardware Wars a bunch. Um, I w- saw Hardware Wars after I saw Spaceballs, so it's like, oh, there's like this whole subculture of Star Wars spoofery out there. Uh, I didn't see Star Wars for many years after yeah. that. Uh, you can you can see the start of something with Hardware Wars, mm-hmm. uh, where it. Uh, I think kind it helps s- cement the fan film. And a lot of the idea, the idea of the Star Wars fan film, and also yeah. the idea yeah. that there's a, a Star Wars comedy underground, yeah. which we saw come into the mainstream with stuff like Robot Chicken and those Family Guy specials. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think Star Wars tried to at one point. Well, and the was, Muppets did a, did a Star Wars episode. Oh, that's right, well, Pigs in Skywalker. Space. They yeah. Did, yeah, when and Luke Mark, Skywalker would come on as yeah, a guest. Yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark Hamill showed up as Luke Skywalker. Uh, so yeah, there was this sort of comedy underground with Star Wars. Um, uh, Hardware and, and, Wars managed to make a, like a million dollars, like literally made a million dollars. <laughs> George Lucas said it was his favorite uh, mm. uh, Star Wars sort of parody mm. fan film, and the guy who played Fluke Starbucker mm. went on to win like a whole bunch of Grammys and did a whole bunch of album, like produced albums that went multi platinum. Uh, oh yeah, is, Scott Matthews. Scott Matthews. Yeah. yeah. So like he he went on to bigger things somehow. He worked with Barbara Streisand for fuck's sake. Um, so this is all part of this, like, interesting underground wave of short films, mm. uh, that would then, in, in my experience as a, as a kid, would then get, like, sort of thrown onto various cable programs. Uh, I'm pretty sure I might have seen Bambi Meets Godzilla at some point on Liquid Television. I'm not uh, 100% I, I sure. I think it probably, yeah, made the rounds through Liquid there. Television is one of the best things MTV ever did. Back when it was still mostly music, they had a show called Liquid Television in which they would take underground animation and, like, student short films, and they would just show them. Mm. And that was it. You'd get, like, stick figure theater where they would, like, animate uh, scenes from public domain movies like Night of the Living Dead. The, the original audio, but they would add stick figures. Or there was the original animated short uh, that gave us Sam from the Halloween anthology horror movie Trick or Treat. 
Sam mm. was the uh, demonic... The little pumpkin head boy. Yeah, yeah. the demonic uh, uh, trick-or-treater who tormented Brian Cox at the end of that movie. That started out as an animated film. That most people saw for the first time in Liquid Television. Well, Liquid and, Television also birthed Beavis and Butthead. Uh, yeah, and and the Max and and the Max, uh, the yeah. Max and the, as the animated series, not as the uh, actually the Max is not part of Liquid Television. I thought premiered. In, I thought they showed a clip of it in Liquid Television first. Maybe they did, but uh, yeah. they actually had a, a separate animated program that they called MTV Oddities. Oh, that might and, be what and I'm And they switched of. back and forth between the Max and a TV program called The Head. Oh, The Head uh, is about weird. a guy about a guy with a gigantic head and like, inside like, the oh, head like an was eight a... foot, and there was an alien living inside. His yeah, giant but head like it was like symbiotic like he had this eight foot tall head and then the head would open up and this demon would pop out and be the worst roommate ever hmm. i actually remember being very fond of the head and, uh, mtv was wild in the day but yeah. um, they were genuinely yeah. kind of outside the box for a while there it was really great for, for a second you know yeah. when all of this underground stuff and um yeah. yeah i guess bambi meets godzilla was sort of mixed in with in in with that and there were other like sort of bizarre pieces of media that would kind of come through that circuit as well. Also, if you saw Night Flight, I need mm-hmm. to hype up Night Flight whenever I can. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, you got all these weird animated films. You also got things like uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. A lot of things that had fallen into the public domain. All these weird, mm. weird cult movies that you're supposed supposedly staying up late and watching. Yeah, and uh, it finally came to. Uh, eventually came to my attention the theatrical version of this in the 90s mm. with Spike and Mike. Yes. And the Spike and Mike festivals of animation uh, debuted a lot of really interesting stuff. They mm. f- were the first to really kind of start to programming Aardman, Aardman movies sort of on the mm. big screen. And then there was a Distaff counterpart that I was much more fond of. Called the Sick and Twisted Festival Called the Spike and Mike Sick and Twisted Festival of Animation. Yeah. And that's where Beavis and Butthead started to show. That's where we first got mm. South Park, uh, Spirit yeah. of Christmas, the first short for that. Yeah. They would seek um, out animation that was very explicitly... Uh, gross or offensive like, yeah, or violent. Like, you know, genuinely, deliberately offensive and off-putting like Flying stuff. in the face yeah, um, of what you would normally expect in the American yeah, uh, what, realm of family-friendly animation. So, yeah, No know. Neck Joe and Lloyd's Lunchbox and... Uh, and uh, Dr. Tran. Dr. Tran. Oh, Dr. Tran's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, don't look up Sloach's Funhouse. That, that's just one of the most revolting Dude, things some I've of, seen. Some of them were uh, literally just trying to be as gross... Yeah. as they possibly could, and unfortunately succeeded. A lot of them succeeded, yeah. yeah it's like that. Yeah. So, I've, I saw a lot of these. I went to a lot yeah. of Sick, Sick and Twisted Festival's animation, and uh, Sloach's Funhouse was the one where there was just not a sound in the theater. Yeah, Like, no just, matter, yeah. these other ones are, like, really gross, but it was, like, in a rowdy mood. They're, like, hooting and hollering, ah, it's gross, ah, boo. Like, they're kind of energized by yeah. how bad it was. Sloge's fun house. Everyone's like, no, that's just not fun. Uh, by the way, if you're if you're counting along at home, you could have watched Bambi meets Godzilla twenty times by now. <laughs> you're welcome. But uh, Bambi meets Godzilla did occasionally rotate through that scene as well. It's still notorious. Like, yeah, in, it's a classic. Decades later, and, it's a genuine, and it's still funny. It's still legitimately funny. You, you know it gets the a laugh joke, every but time, it, and but it's just the timing of it's so great. Well, and the, and the, and the credits like, gag is still funny. And we're at this midnight show. It's mostly like college kids, like about yeah. that age, and a lot of these kids hadn't seen Bambi meets Godzilla. Yeah. So every time they showed it, someone was seeing it for the first time. Exactly, it was great. Uh, it started to deteriorate over the years. You got older and older prints of it. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's been some, preserved. It's been like, preserved. The Academy people has preserved. People it. have like redrawn it. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's been. They're, they're keeping a hold, on, a yeah. hold on this one. And it's but had... Uh, it's, I'm sorry, you want to... Just, uh, I was going to get to Son of Bambi. I was about to say, and it was popular enough in the cult realm that it had sequels as early as the 70s. 
uh, which I only saw the 70s one in preparation for this podcast. Same, actually. I actually uh, hadn't but, seen any of them. I, these, these were actually news okay. to me. Son of Bambi Meets Godzilla. Uh, which is out, not going to get its own episode. It <laughs> came out in 1999, and yeah. it was kind of setting up the Roland Emmerich Godzilla, which had come out the year before. Mm-hmm. So, um, But first we had Bambi's Revenge. Bambi's Revenge. Uh, and that was, it took place right after Godzilla stepped on Bambi. And then Bambi... You know, Bambi's a cartoon. Bambi can't be killed. Uh, Bambi decides to whip out, I think it's uh, some dynamite, mm. and give Godzilla a hot foot. Yeah. And it, Godzilla it blows was, Godzilla's foot off. Yeah, Godzilla is absolutely not ready for that. And it looks like Bambi's going to get away with it. Like, ah, good. I'm so glad Bambi did. And then Bambi, uh, Godzilla steps on him with the other foot. Yeah. Yeah. It's also very, very short. Uh, look, it's not look. done by Marv Newland. Uh, and it, the animation style is evocative of the original, but clearly not the same. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's kind of cute. And again, it's so short, you might as well watch it. But it's... it Ironically, it does the thing Star Wars does, where the original Star Wars was kind of its own thing. It was a pastiche of its influences. Bambi meets Godzilla was a pastiche of Bambi and Godzilla. Uh, and then after a while, instead of Star Wars feeling like a pastiche of older uh, cinema, all of these disparate elements coming in to form something new, Star Wars started to make more and more media that was explicitly about Star Just Wars. Just Star the, the myth yeah. of Star Wars itself. Just perpetuating Star Wars. And yeah, we might still incorporate some samurai or western stuff that we know had previously influenced Star Wars, but it's still not really... A lot of them don't add a lot new to the mix. And the ones that do are sometimes the more controversial ones, like The Last Jedi, or the ones that are, like, celebrated but maybe not as popular, like Andor. Um, what is it? Andor. Oh, Andor. Okay. Yeah, the, the TV series. Which it feels very unlike most other Star Wars, but it is really great. Right. Um, so Bambi... The Bambi's Revenge uh, is about Bambi meets Godzilla. And it's about sort of settling the score, rectifying uh, uh, an unfair situation. It's Rocky II. Before Rocky II, by the way. So, really, Stallone ripped this off, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, not not an original thought in that guy's head. Not in the slightest. <laughs> Anyway, and then in 1999, we got sort of the Roland Emmerich-inspired one. It was 3D animated. It's called Son of Bambi Meets Godzilla. And it feels very much like a student project. Because, like, there's a certain charm to the lo-fi. Which was true of a lot of the Sick and Twisted films. A lot of them did come straight out of college. Of course they did. Some of them weren't even finished. We Mm -hmm. just got, like, animatics and stuff. Yeah. But uh, Son of Bambi Meets Godzilla. It's CG animated. It's the first one that's in color. Uh, and it also not done by Marv Newell, and also done by someone entirely new. Um, and, like, it's really lo-fi in terms of its early computer graphics. Nothing seems like it's actually, like, physically connecting with anything. It's all very floaty. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew people who were doing literal, like, class projects that were actually swankier than this oh, at yeah, the time. Yeah. Um, and th- that's no insult. It's just where it comes from. It's very much, it feels like a, like a home thing. Uh, but I think the irony is that homemade early CG cartoons don't have the same charm as low budget homemade 2D cartoons a lot of the time. Just yeah, because the technology is that much more important mm. to the actual finished product. Um, the, 
because I grew up like through that era, I've seen yeah. some lo-fi CGI that has a little bit of charm, like that kind of weird smoothness. It yeah, bears an aesthetic unto itself, but uh, the something is like fine. It's, this is the roughness, actually. Oh yeah, some, like something the... like this is like really glitchy, and um, yeah. and it's the same deal. It's Bambi in the middle of a field. It's very rudimentary looking, yeah. polygon ish almost. Looks Bambi. like a PlayStation One game, yeah. first and, generation. Uh, and we're waiting for Godzilla's foot to come down on Bambi, and Godzilla's foot comes down. It's the Roland Emmerich Godzilla foot. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it misses. Dinosaur. Yeah. Like Bambi ends up like between his big toes. Hmm. And then it tries to stomp him again. And it keeps it missing and keeps missing, missing and stomps all around Bambi. Yeah. Then the ground opens up. A missile launcher rises up out of a hole underneath the ground, fires hmm. a missile, and the foot... We don't, even, we don't see Godzilla, but we see the foot sort of fall over. Yeah. The implication yeah. is that Bambi somehow did that. Yeah. Bam- Bambi activated the missiles. Yeah. It's more like a cute homage, really, mm-hmm. than like a remake or a reboot or anything. But, um, again, it's a 90-second short, so we had to pad out this podcast somehow. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm, that one never got as big a laugh as no. Bam, just Bambi meets Godzilla. Well, the, the sound there's, design there's... isn't as clever. There's only one. Because the other thing with the other ones, they don't have, they only have one joke. Mm. Marv Newland in 90 seconds at least had two fully realized jokes. That kind of bolstered each other. Mm. One was the punchline. It could have been the entire thing, but it was a punchline. But by adding in the opening credits gag, which just goes on and on and on, we're waiting for that punchline. And then we can't help ourselves but laugh because the credit sequence has gone on so long at this point Mm. for such a minimal thing. And it's always Marv Newland's name. The sequels don't really have that. Again, they're just about Remember Bambi Meets Godzilla. I'm not mm. saying there's no charm to that. I'm just saying that's not really... There's not much to it. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's Bambi meets Godzilla. Uh, Marv Newland went on to do a lot of work. Um, mm. He would uh, do a lot of... Um, Marv! That, yeah. that, that was another element. Whenever, um, whenever Bambi meets Godzilla would play at the midnight shows, whenever yeah. a, a Marv Newland credit appeared, yeah. the entire audience would just yell, Marv! He, uh, Marv uh, uh, Newland started uh, an animation film production company uh, in Canada called International Rocketship Limited, which did a lot of animated shorts. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm I'm familiar with that company. Uh, There's one in particular that was apparently very popular called Black Hula, uh, but uh, he also did a lot of TV commercials for uh, various network entities like MTV, Nickelodeon, uh, and... Uh, he also produced the two TV animated specials for Gary Larson's Farside. Oh, fun. So we have actually done, in a previous episode of Cancel Too Soon, a long time ago, uh, an, an episode about Gary Larson's Tales from the Farside, a Halloween special based on the Farside comics, which aired, like, once. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, <laughs> t- terrifically unpopular. Yeah, like, it was... It, it's, And I can see why. It's super weird and kind of off-putting, which uh. is kind of perfect for a Halloween special, like, it's funny, but, like, a little too dark for TV. Um, he would also work on uh, the stop-motion animated TV series, The PJs. Okay. Uh, so he had, a, he had a pretty good run. Mm. So good for him. Good for you, Marv Newland. We salute you. It's probably the best I know, he's still around. Um, and uh, he is an indelible part of the Godzilla legacy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. He had a he did a cute little joke, and it's so funny. We just did a podcast about it that it's, is significantly longer than the actual thing it, he did. It, it is astonishing that it, it has sort of lasted into the the public consciousness the way it has. Yeah, uh, 
for being as simple and as stupid as it is. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean stupid, stupid in a complimentary way. Oh, sure. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with its, its brevity and its efficiency. It's one simple gag. It's 90 seconds. Yeah. It's kind of a, a fun, novel, kooky idea. Yeah. And you can show it anywhere. And you could have watched it 26 times right now. Can we hit 40? Can we do it? 40 times. <laughs> Episode, you know, 40 sometimes longer than the, the film itself. Yeah. We're going to do this with uh, Brenna's Hamlet next. Uh, we're gonna do uh, gonna do an eighty hour podcast yes. about Brandon's Hamlet. <laughs> well, this is four, four hour fucking forty time. It'll be yeah, one hundred and sixty hour yeah. podcast. We actually did do a commentary track for Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, which yeah, you can still download from our Patreon if you're a patron. You download it in two halves. But yeah, yeah, we decided to take it easy on you, so we went out to the intermission and then we did the second half. Mm. Um, but yeah, Bambi meets Godzilla. It's a treat. Uh, it's again super easy to find. It's online. Google it. You'll find it in a second. Uh, and it, and it, it's kind of a crack into a lot of cult and underground scenes that are really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so um, watch it. Watch it as sort mm. of this piece of Godzilla ephemera. Watch it as a, you know, a cute gag. Mm. But also understand that it, it's part of a bigger movement yeah. that uh, was really, really exciting. And fall down that rabbit hole. Just watch, yeah, really... watch some of the stuff we talked about. Hardware Wars. Mm. Um, you can probably skip Thank You, Masked Man. But if it doesn't sound like it's going to bother you that much, go for it. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, the whole Midnight Circuit at the time. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, um, and... Uh, the television. I, th- I think um, Mo- Mike of Spike and Mike passed away quite a while, uh, while ago, but mm. um, I think you can still get, like, Spike and Mike, not just fe- not just Sick and Twisted, but you get the regular fe- festivals of animation, like on yeah. DVDs, probably on eBay. Yeah. So, yeah, get, get some of those. Um, yeah. There was a he- wonderfully huge scene of animated shorts out there that was really well organized and was presented on the regular, especially in the home video days. You could get yeah. just these compilation VHS cassettes of this stuff. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that's really interesting. There's a lot of a lot of wonderful, interesting artists that were at work that you've probably never heard of. So not just the Ardman stuff, just everything off to the side, everything that branched out from the, the stuff you know. Yeah. Uh, and Bambi Meets Godzilla is one of those hubs where there's all these branches sort of sticking out of it. Please seek it out, and then, yeah, follow, follow as deeply as you dare, because you're going to find a lot of interesting, sick and twisted, sometimes offensive, sometimes fun, sometimes really fascinating stuff. So, yeah, please. All right. Uh, well, that is it for this episode of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. We'll be back next time with a review of an actual Godzilla movie this time, we swear. Uh, this is a Godzilla movie, but it's not official. Uh, we'll be back with a movie that has been called the worst Godzilla movie. And, Probably uh, by Whitney. And I, I can't really argue with it too much. <laughs> I actually, I have seen this one, but it's been a long time since I watched it in its entirety. I think I only saw it in its entirety as a kid. Uh, but it is the most... Probably the most kid-friendly Godzilla movie. This is the Godzilla movie that's a bit more like a Gamera movie in that it's actually more about a human child than it is so much about Godzilla stuff. Uh, but it is called All Monsters Attack. Which sounds a lot cooler than what we're actually going to be getting. Yeah. This movie has its defenders, and I'm very eager to watch it, and hopefully through the lens of some of the more passionate defenders it has. And maybe I'll really like it this time. We'll find out, won't we? It'll uh-huh. be an interesting experience. Um, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you want to hear that episode about all monsters attack a week early... Which means that if you're listening to this podcast on the main podcast feed, you can hear it right now. Mm. Uh, you can sign up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You get all of our new podcasts ad free. 
you get uh, uh, I almost said thank Bambi it's Godzilla uh, you get thank Godzilla it's Friday <laughs> one week early every week uh, and you get a whole bunch of exclusive shows as well including Holy Batman the show where we reviewed every single uh, Adam West Batman uh, ever uh, the one uh, uh, all our yesterdays we're reviewing every single Star Trek ever uh, all only the best we review every single film ever nominated for best picture uh, we do commentary tracks we mentioned a few in this episode we do hangouts uh, thank you to all of our patrons we couldn't do this without you we're incredibly grateful to you you're the best uh, and if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode do we uh, do you know some more about the history of Bambi meets Godzilla do you know a bit more about uh, the cult underground uh, cartoon scene and you want to correct us about something uh, if you just want to share your experience with Bambi meets Godzilla do you just want to talk and just get us to talk about whatever you want us to talk about you can do that too our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net we might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Yeah. Box? Send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and of course, we are on the social medias. We are on the social medias. Yes, we are on, uh, uh, on the, the, the Blue Sky. The Blue Sky on the Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. Uh, and we are on Blue Sky on Twitter and Instagram, at William Bibiani and Whitney, at the, Whitney Seibold. Uh, respectively. And if I can somehow keep talking for another 15 seconds, you could have watched Bambi Meets Godzilla 30 whole times All right. while you were watching this episode. So as we wind down, I would just like to say one more time for the record. Rah!